This episode of the MedTalk Podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device manufacturing. Save the day for MedTech Innovation Expo 2024, taking place on the 5th and 6th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. For more information, please visit www.medtechexpo.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk Podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, and with a more digital health look to things on this episode, I am joined by Saul Mahmood, the Director of Healthcare at BT Health. And today, we're going to discuss how the company supports the way the NHS works, with new solutions that are being introduced, as well as the use of technology within the sector, and the possible changes that will entail. So, uh, Saul, thank you very much for joining us on the MedTalk Podcast. Uh, I think, people, Thank I think you, a lot of people are going to know about your organisation somehow, but uh, just give us a brief intro about yourself and, of course, your organisation. Okay, well, my name's uh, Professor Saul Mahmood. I'm the Director of Healthcare, privileged to be the Director of Healthcare for BT Group PLC. Um, um, and we are absolutely delighted to be supporting the NHS. Uh, absolutely well, delighted. Do you want me to I, tell you about myself, Ian? Um, if you don't mind, but I'm going to actually going to say that supporting the NHS is the best bit of PR you can do on any kind of podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But it's true. It's not just because these are the people that look after your friends and my uh, my friends and our, your friends and my friends and my family and your family. Yeah. Yeah. Day in day out, to not much thanks actually, um, and they do an awfully brilliant job for what they get. Um, there's lots to modernise, lots to change, but it's a a stress system and they're, they're doing their very best so we are grateful and we want to support them. So you've mentioned that you do support the NHS can you give our listeners a little bit of insight as to what it is you actually do in terms of offering that support? So um, so my background Ian if, if I just if I just may I think you know we had a chat before we, we kicked off the interview so I've, I've come from the NHS after 25 years and I've worked across primary care, secondary care, community services, system management you know commissioning the, the whole kit and caboodle, really. And I'm, I'm one of those lucky chaps who've had the opportunity to kind of work on a strategic, operational, kind of, you know, front-line-facing front um, career. And and one of, the, one of the things we all know is that there is a massive need for change in the NHS. Um, you know, every part of people's lives, if you think about it, kind of very digitally enabled. People buy houses now, kind of through their smartphones and, 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 and book flights and kind of have packages delivered and, 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 and do lots and lots of things. Yet when they experience healthcare, it's kind of different. It's still kind of slightly a mismatch where the clinical care is world-class and some of the technologies the research is developing is, is supremely um, world-leading. Other parts of it, the access part of the NHS, the kind of the, the logistics part of the NHS, the kind of feedback to the patient part of the NHS, um, is probably not as advanced as it could be. So what does BT do? So BT, we've, we've been with the NHS since 1948. Uh, and, and as you can imagine, we have uh, a presence across the country, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, um, on a connectivity footing. So we connect up you know, the, the large part of the country through something called the HSCN, which is the Health Services Core Network. So if there's a big pipe that connects the country, we, we, we run about 30, 35% of that. In addition to that, there's a whole range of kind of, you know, um, telco-based services, cloud telephony, 
um, IP or, or, or of the traditional BT where or telco where we provide we support them. But increasingly, as as you know, the NHS becomes more and more of a priority for us. We're moving to kind of new solutions as well. So we're moving into kind of what we call curve two and curve three solutions. So curve two solutions are something that solves a, a specific customer problem that can be underpinned by BT's connectivity, uh, as well as kind of the service trap, but really focuses in on a specific problem and a kind of almost a, a joint appreciative inquiry type approach to kind of solving that problem. So for example, you know, one hospital might say, I've heard a lot of this stuff around 5G, but what's the application on it? You know, because we've heard about these 5G robots in China and we think they could help with kind of menial functions such as cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. So the customer will ring us and say, well, we think that's a technology worth exploring. What's the connectivity basis needed for that? So that could be a, a particular issue. It could be that, you know, we're, there is a national data platform coming. There are kind of um, a move to public cloud can you take us on that transformation journey to go from kind of servers in on, on the bottom of uh, uh, desks and computers to a, a cloud-based system in a hospital without the budget of a kind of large, <laughs> large kind of IT department of a FTSE 100? You know, what's the reality check? So we do we do consultancy service around tra- digital transformation. We improve connectivity and we solve problems around data and data connectivity as well. So a whole range of s- things that we do within BT Health. Have you found that uh, your roles become a little more prevalent within the health service uh, because of not, not so much the, uh, the the system side of things, but now that medical devices themselves are becoming a lot more digital and there's a lot more feedback towards, or there's a, a lot more proposed feedback towards uh, uh, electronic records and the like. Yeah, I think I think just the way the care is, you know, going, um, roles like mine and companies like mine will have to think about, you know, big changes in healthcare. So we all know that the workforce, you know, there is roughly, you know, a twenty-five to thirty million workforce shortage globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifteen percent of our workforce in the NHS is kind of vacant at the moment, right? So you can't carry on doing the same things anymore in the same mm-hmm. way. So technology, you know, if you think about anticipatory technology, uh, remote monitoring, medical devices as nodes of kind of um, as nodes of um, testing, as nodes of diagnosis are kind of going to be prevalent. Having them aggregate into a platform that works and then translate into clinical workflow is really, really important. So that's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. So roles like mine or companies like mine and, you know, large global hyperscalers, but we know all of them, the SME uh, industry in this, it's kind of on the on the rise. So yes, is the answer to your question. Well, so it's actually the explanation alongside the. Uh, Sorry, no, mate, I just got. I can't no, no, there's there's nothing wrong with a bit more in depth discussion. It's what podcasts are for. It's certainly what this podcast is for. I'd like to actually come on to a little bit of uh, research that you recently published because you uh, you, yes. you highlighted that in this that eighty three percent believe greater. Uh, this is eighty three percent on the front line, I believe. Eighty three percent believe greater technology investment can help to attract a younger workforce. Seventy four percent agree that technology helps to deliver better quality of care. I mean, it, it would it would appear that it's the the appetite for technology from those on the front line is huge. But when you actually drill down to those figures, did you actually identify the particular areas that they wanted that technological help? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think, uh, just going back to the workforce, Mm -hmm. yeah, the more we speak to kind of, you know, ex-friends and colleagues in the NHS, now customers, that, you know, 
they're all trying to fish from the same pond in terms of the workforce, which is limited. Yeah, we can't clone more doctors and nurses, and we can't we can't clone more technologists in a, in, in healthcare very quickly. You know, it's it's a very competitive field, so it's a small fish, small uh, pond to play from. But if you think about the stuff that attracts, so you know, you've you've got to do your best to retain staff. And what really retains is kind of where there's a really coherent digital strategy for an organization where the leadership are really backing it and there's a cultural permissiveness to kind of experiment safely, yeah, um, work through problems, give clinicians space and time to think through digital solutions, yeah. These are real attractive forces. So kind of more and more consultant uni- uh, interviews now, and I did a fair share in my career, you asked a question around digital. The consultants and nursing community are really well clued up on mm-hmm. this. And they ask questions around kind of what's your digital strategy? You know, have you got kind of nurses in training? What's your CCNI's role? What's your CCIO's role? You know, how do you kind of, what's the feedback mechanism for digital transformation? So, so it's a big attraction. In terms of the areas that people were investing in, in, you know, in an average English hospitals, there are probably 200, 250 data generating units. So these are systems that capture some kind of patient or administrative data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a, on a standalone basis, but, but, but are not connected to something like the mainframe. Yeah. So you've got th- theater systems, you've got kind of individual clinic systems. Yeah. Uh, individual diagnosis systems. Um, operational systems and they're not all connected to a kind of central repository where the data can be connected and interpreted and insight derived yeah now in the in england um certainly there is a level of leveling up program being done with electronic patient record um, implementation taking place really across the country on a, on a broad basis that's a tough gig so what happens with that is for a couple of years when an EPR implementation is taking place, nothing else much happens in that hospital. Yeah, um, there is a high attrition rate because it's highly stressful, and you're kind of moving from one system to another. So there's a lot of kind of project management and program management. So, you know, when we talk about what what's the source of stress, that's a necessi- necessity. Moving up, leveling up is a necessity. The consequences of, of that on an organisation are huge, um, and it causes a lot of stress. There's a fifteen percent attrition rate typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an necessity. You need to do it. It's like, you know, if you're a football team, you're going to move from a small stadium to a big stadium. It needs to happen. Yeah. For lots of reasons, commercial and otherwise. This is absolutely needed, but it takes a, takes the focus away from lots of things. And it's a high pressure scenario. That's one example. The other example is, again, I've mentioned there are so many um, different systems where doctors and nurses have to kind of work on and input into. It's very, very frustrating for them. And they're always kind of, you know, consistently saying, can we have aggregator platforms? Do it once, yeah, serve several functions. Um, on, on the other side of the spectrum, we still have nurses and doctors taking notes on sticky paper to going back to a kind of dumb station by the nurse's terminal and then inputting that data. Now, if you think about doctors and nurses being our most prized assets, think of the opportunity cost of that time wasted, mm-hmm. yeah? Time not used for care, if you like, t- doing administrative functions. So these are some of the frustrations that have kind of come out in, in, the, in the deep dive of the, of, of the, of the study, uh, but also kind of from lots of experience we have with the customer and, and being a customer, if you like, myself. All right, there are a couple of things I wanted to pick up on there. Notably, what you said later on in your answer about the it, it almost as if there's there's so much focus on one, one thing that it almost gets taken away from the other. If you follow me, so mm-hmm. that that seems to be a particularly dif- difficult circle to square. If you if you follow me, without well without more manpower, but I've, but I think you've already alluded to the fact that the workforce is already stretched at the moment. I mean, I'm probably putting you on the spot a little bit here, but how would you think 
what what do you think there's a solution or what solution can could you think of to bring to bring forward there? Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good question. I think I think the best organizations that um are focused on the here and now now and are focused on tomorrow now as well. So you've got to kind of split your time as a kind of workforce of, of stuff that needs to be operationally and digitally needs to happen right now. It's just got to be done. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a necessary pain. Mm-hmm. However, given that you have always got time and space to create kind of um, what you want for the future, your digital strategy. Yeah. You always have that. And the best organization do this, what I call is the split screen. Yeah. They're focusing on today's issues and they're also got to create time and space for focusing on tomorrow's issues. So this is where peak companies like myself, BT, are coming to the fore. So our, you know, we have a system called the Vanguard program, whereas customers who are thinking about that split screen and thinking about tomorrow kind of contact us and others, for that matter, to work on a specific problem. Yeah. So we co-create solutions based on a set of kind of constraints, and the constraints are time and space. So this is what we've got. What NHS people haven't got is lots and lots of time to kind of do really clever thinking. They rely on people like us to kind of say, look, we've, we've understood your problem. Here's a suite of options. How does it work for you? Yeah. Will it actually work in real life? And you get to kind of test and play with it with customers who are willing. So I think that's the way around it, kind of partnerships, experimentation, um, starting small and moving on um, and building iteratively. Yeah. But there's a high degree of trust needed for that kind of scenario. But it shows people, it shows staff particularly, kind of that that are engaged in processes like the Vanguard, that their organize their parent organization listens, and their views are taken on board in the development of new kind of um, solutions, digital solutions. That's the way I would do it. So the split screen is the answer, Ian. Okay, I mean, from, from your um, from your time, well, in your previous iteration, we're working with the NHS, and 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 now, you. I, I, from what you've suggested to me, it sounds like the uh, the, the narrative that of the the unwillingness to adopt uh, certain technologies is a bit unfair when it comes to the certain frontline individuals. It's just everything else around it. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I think I think um, I think adoption. I think the NHS people where where they where NHS people will always kind of put, put the front foot forward is where they can see kind of clinical benefit and staff benefit. Mm-hmm. Okay, Um, the narrative around kind of the unwillingness, it's to do with the systems and processes being not as good as they could be. So if you think about the background radiation of an organization, there's a lot going on at the moment. Yeah, we're post pandemic, um, absolutely rammed full in every kind of emergency portal you can think of. Yeah, Um, the operational flow within kind of the systems isn't the best at the moment. Um, winter winter planning doesn't stop anymore at winter it carries on all year that's such as a level of business so just that context is important for people to run so any unwillingness kind of pointed directed towards nhs people i kind of it's probably not true it's it's all the contextual factors that go with it the very best organizations though and they absolutely make the time and the space and the leadership the leadership culture is kind of what generates the biggest returns in uh, digital transformation yeah, you create the time and the space and the air cover for those people. You can move digital transformation along really, really quickly. So that's that's so my answer. On all the kind of stresses that people were enjoying was it was it to the point where people thought I can't do this job anymore? I, I think there's a spectrum, mm-hmm. Ian. If I'm honest, um, it's a very stressed situation. We must not uh, uh, underplay how stressed the, the NHS system is at the moment. You know, people are working incredibly hard. I think these type of stresses, to to your point, are rooted in several things. Firstly, you know, people having to switch from one machine to another, yeah, to kind of carry out different functions. People 
having to kind of go from paper to systems and, and, and back again to carry out their jobs, particularly nursing colleagues. These are these are stresses. Um, when technology is kind of in, um, uh, implemented in an organisation without the implementation support, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 the, the feeling that issues with technology, the the feedback loop isn't there to kind of make changes. So kind of the you said we did methodology doesn't always apply. Those would be kind of the, the typical areas of people's frustrations. Yeah. Okay. So is that problem e- easily fixable? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think getting the get first of all, I think getting the a baseline of digitization sorted. I think you know, f- you know, uh, we know forty percent of the country prob- at some point in time. I think it was this year or last year report came out haven't got a basic EPR system, so that just needs to happen, and we just need to go through the pain as a country. That's really important. After that, there are you know, in terms of connectivity, you know, we've got lots of new technologies coming out from virtual wards to coordination centres to. Um, you know, um, AI-powered diagnostics, uh, all of these kind of rely on us really solid infrastructure, connectivity and infrastructure. And, you know, there are quite a lot of infrastructure and connectivity not spots in the, in, in the surveys that we've done. So we need to get the foundations right. You know, the future-ready infrastructure needs to be in place for um, our NHS organisations to really capitalise on the big investments that we're making around kind of, you know, the digital things like EPR and, and data platforms. Yeah. So for those, for us to kind of get the fruits of those big things, we need to have the basics of um, connectivity and infrastructure kind of sorted, really. And that's a kind of ongoing journey. When, when you say it's it an ongoing journey, uh, is it? It's probably a bit unfair to ask this question, but when did it start? Because it always feels like there's been elements of catch up along the way. I mean, that's that's entirely how it's presented, anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think it, you know, given it's a, the public person and you know, technology budgets are, are stretched, but we're, we're saying, you know, most people are saying we need investment. I think it's an ongoing program of renewal. You know, um, did we start off as we started to digitize the NHS or kind of uh, work in that direction, kind of late eighties, nineties onwards? It wasn't planned in this way that such things would happen. Ecosystems. Yeah, it started to kind of develop and it still exists. And when we're trying to kind of put on top of them kind of new um, future-ready infrastructure, it might be that they're not fit for purpose. So kind of workarounds are having to kind of be built on. And sometimes those workarounds are broken and and we're starting again. So it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing process here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I think there is a there is a broad national strategy. I think people have recognised that that connectivity needs to be better, you know, cloud, smart, virtual wards and remote care. All of these things need a base and everybody kind of gets that. Um, and, and given the strategy, the national data strategy, data being so central to kind of care in the future and population health, um, you know, I think it's an ongoing, there's no start and finish. It's an ongoing process, an ongoing program of work. And, and I think from my point of view, when it, when it comes to the, uh, the publications that I oversee in particular, they'll be very interested to actually hear that in terms of it, if it is an ongoing process, then when it, when it comes to actually the incorporation of new technologies on the medical device side of things, whether that's the more smart, uh, you know, the more, the more smart editions of the more conventional devices, as we as we put it. As I, I'm wondering, has this been identified as a as another area where, you know, a more more advanced devices will be welcome to actually aid aid those on the front line to you know reduce the stresses that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think if you, if, I mean, depends if I understand the question. If, if it de- depends on what you're talking about. So if you're talking about, um, if you're talking about 
protocol-driven care and kind of machine and devices kind of using that and, and kind of making a, an assessment or kind of de- supporting clinical decision-making. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of accepted now as, as, as the future. I think the key thing in terms of infrastructure is, do you have an aggregator platform that takes the data inputs from those devices and makes it available to the nurse and the doctor so they can do something with it on an anticipatory basis? That's the clever bit, yeah? So aggregator platforms is probably where... where um, the, the smart money is on. I think those technologies in themselves, as, as long as they're kind of regulated and, and you know, DTAC and MRHA and all that kind of good stuff is kind of done, I think they're they're welcomed. The biggest thing is the aggregator platform and whether the, the data from that lands in the workflow of the clinician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it means that, you know, you, Dr. Bolland, it's it, it's too much of a headache for you to kind of incorporate this data. You'd rather walk to the patient and do what you always used to do. You're probably not going to use it much, are you? So it's how it lands in your workflow. That's the biggest factor that I think that will make the change. And then you've got to have the the infrastructure basis to kind of use it. Yeah, you've got to have the the house ready to kind of house these tools. Yeah, it's it's all it's all well and good having a really good device, but you need everything else around it and set up to yeah. actually yeah. support it. Yeah, it's like it's like you've got a brilliant scale electrics car, right? But none of the track and everything else, nothing, yeah, and no drill. But you've got a little. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like that analogy. I might use that one again in the future. Uh, so, thank you very much for your time today. I think we've actually got a lot, we got through a lot in about 20 minutes or so. But um, I always uh, sign off with one final question. And that's, and, and I can imagine you probably summarize things nicely, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I think, I think um, what I would say is that um, being a British company, BT, and we, you know, we really work hard on kind of connecting for good. You know, so connecting for good is a, is our motto and mission, and and health services is our first, if you like, physical manifestation of our of our mission to connect for good. Health services won't kind of fix themselves, and I think the partnership between, you know, um, organisations like mine and the commercial sector and the NHS is kind of, I think, the the way forward because what the NHS can do, we can't do, and what we can do, the NHS perhaps can't do in terms of technology and the kind of the, the cutting edge of science and, um, and 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 some of the you know the, the thousands of patents companies like bt hold there is a lot we can offer so this co-creation approach um is something that we're really proud of and i think the what i would say to people is kind of the nhs people are not resistant to te- technological change yeah not in my 25 years of experience it's it's the kind of circumstances surrounding them and i think the more companies that are mindful of that, I think they'll get a lot more from the NHS. We're certainly trying at BT to kind of change the dial and the narrative and the tone in, in the way we, we interact. And I just hope other companies do that as well, because, you know, 75 years, we want another 75 years, don't we? All of us. Nicely summarised. So thank you very much. 